Alright, well welcome to this episode of The Hammer Factor. On this show we have Ladies All Ride Mountain Bike Skills Camp founder, previous professional mountain biker, and former star of the hit TV show Survivor, welcome to the hot seat, Lindsay Richter. Hello, thanks for having me. All right, well, thank you for coming on. Before we get into our interview here, let's talk about Survivor. Tell me a little bit about Survivor being on the show. How did you end up on the show? You know, it was kind of a fluke thing. I was working in uh, advertising and PR in Portland, Oregon, and during the dot-com boom where everyone had these crazy dot-com clients, and then 2001 was the big dot-com crash, so we all got laid off, and a guy in the office next to me dropped this application on my desk that he'd seen online. And mind you, the internet was very new in 2001. And uh, I didn't know what it was, but I read through it and it sounded like it was some kind of crazy thing for athletes to go on TV. So I signed up. I filled out the eight page application and I made a three minute video and sent it in at the final hour when they were due. And Next thing I knew, I was flying to Africa to sit around and try to win a million dollars. Sit around. So how was sit that? Sit around. Keyword. How was that experience? It was pretty insane. There was a lot of sitting around. What you see on TV is 72 hours of filming equals one 50-minute episode. So they definitely uh, put you in a position where you're sitting idle for many, many hours before they come and get you for a challenge. So that's where the insanity kicks in. Right, right, right. <laughs> Sheer boredom. <laughs> now I've 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 done a little filming on some reality TV shows in the past and I have some friends who have worked on things like Deadliest Catch and Naked and Afraid and some of these other things. And they have stories of kind of planting things and creating some controversy. Was that going on while, while you guys were shooting? You know, not as much with us. We weren't really allowed to talk to the camera crew. We would get pulled aside by the producer to have to do interviews each, you know, each of us individually. And they would plant some, just some little seeds like, Oh, do you find Silas attractive? Would you ever consider hooking up with them? And do you think they're talking about you over there right now? You know, they never really planted anything specific, but they would get you shaking in your boots and they knew enough about you. I mean, we had to do eight hours of psychological testing before we got on this show just to make sure that we were legitimately a little bit crazy. <laughs> and so they knew the buttons to push, you know, they knew I missed my family and my dog. So they would bring all that up right before they started interviewing you. So you're vulnerable and raw before they even tap into the questions about the show. So there's definitely some manipulation going on to bring out heightened emotion. Are you really surviving? Yeah, you're surviving to a degree. I mean, you know, we were in Africa where there was the danger of, of animals coming and mauling us. So we had armed guards with guns sitting in bushes to protect us. Uh, we weren't allowed to hunt because we were on a game reserve. So they gave us food to ration, but it was just like cornmeal, like kind of like cream of wheat. Uh, and then one can of food a day to share between eight people. Um, so, yeah, we didn't... Uh, 
you know, we lost a lot of weight really quickly and uh, we didn't go to the bathroom for quite a long time. So yes, there was an element of surviving. They provided food, but you had to ration it and you were starving every day. I mean, we were losing a pound or two a day. Oh, wow. And how many days were you? Were you? Yeah, I was, I was on the show 18 days, but the show there. lasted for everyone else 32 days. 32 days. Way, baby. Halfway. So I was reading through your bio and you came out of that show sort of like, I don't know, a little depressed or, or not feeling a, you didn't have a positive experience about yourself after that. Yeah. You know, when I was on the show, I, you don't really know what's, what's going to show up on TV. So while I was out there, I felt like I did the best I could. I was definitely very emotional, um, which is part of the, part of their plan. They strip you of all your amenities and, emotion sets in, especially if you're an emotional being. So I knew that I shed some tears on the show and, uh, it really wasn't until it started airing and they started, you know, showing me doing things I wasn't super proud of or saying things I wasn't proud of or acting in a way I wasn't proud of. And those may have just been short moments, but when they put that on TV, it's just exacerbated for the world to see and the world to criticize. So thank goodness there was no social media, but there were chat rooms. And being new to all this, that's what I would do. I would get on these chat rooms and read what everyone was saying about us after each episode. And a lot of things people were saying about me weren't positive. And it was kind of shocking. I thought I did okay, but then to read all these comments about me being whiny or a baby or emotional or, you know, even things like, oh, she's bipolar because I'd be crying in one scene and laughing in the next. But what they don't understand is that's even days apart, hours and days apart. So it was really hard to swallow that they kind of picked me to be the dramatic one. I mean, you are who you are, right? You act how you act, but they can take moments out of context. And that's what can be hurtful is they can put situations or facial expressions, they can put it wherever they want. So someone could be making a face while you're talking and it looks like they're appalled by what you're saying, but they weren't even talking to you at that moment that they got that clip on camera. Mm -hmm. So that's how they manipulated it. They have all kinds of footage they can splice together to make it look like a story. Yeah. Yeah. And combine that with the, uh, being anonymous on a chat board, you can pretty much, you know, take off the gloves if you know Go people to can town. be so savage on an anonymous chat board you know yep. Go to town. and I was in my 20s and still trying to figure myself out in life I'd just been laid off and now suddenly I'm on reality TV it was you know quite a whirlwind slap in the face to just suddenly be infamous I, I don't like to call it famous we called ourselves faux liberties <laughs> <laughs> but they made us pretty famous because this was the third one ever so we went on all kinds of talk shows and red carpet walks and celebrity charity events and it was a pretty insane experience and so being in the spotlight like that and also having some negative reviews come out about me was it was hard to swallow it definitely put me into a a funk of low self-esteem and depression thinking that this was my my ticket to a new life and instead it was a ticket to public humiliation <laughs> wow interesting so let's 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 take a step back so before survivor before you know the, all the things that you've done where are you from? What were you like as, as a little kid? Uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon. I grew up uh, going to Bend, where I live now, uh, very frequently to ride horses. I was a horse girl. I show jumped horses. 
and I also guided trail rides. Uh, I played soccer, basketball, you name it, softball. I ran track. I was an athlete. That's really how I define myself, my sports. Um, I still hold the high school high jump record. (laughs) Um, You know, I went to state as a freshman. I, I really used athletics as a means to express myself, I think. I did great in school. I had lots of friends. I had a great upbringing. You know, I had a from the outside, a picture perfect to everything. It was great. Um, but I was definitely an emotional being. I was very high strung. I was hyperactive. I didn't really understand my energy. But when I played sports, that's really where I felt like I flourished. So without sports, I went to college and didn't play sports. And that's when I started to kind of lose myself per se, or, or more so not really understand who I was without sports in my life. Interesting. Yeah. How high did you jump? Five, five and three quarters. <laughs> There's no way I could jump that high. <clears throat> so Survivor ends. You're in this funk. Um, at some point you found mount- mountain biking. How did that happen? You know, I mountain biked before Survivor. Um, when I was working in advertising and PR, well, after college, I gained a lot of weight. I lost my body. I was this skinny little athlete, went to college, ballooned. Uh, I think like most people do, but I had no concept of diet and fitness. I mean, when you grow up a skinny athlete, you just, you know, that was the carbo loading era. So I didn't know that stuffing my face full of carbs in college while drinking beer and partying and studying all night was going to make me gain weight. So into my 20s, I really didn't know how to shed that weight. I I tried the gym. I tried step aerobics. I tried everything. And it just was unmotivating and uninspiring. So my dad actually got me a mountain bike. And I just enrolled myself in races in Oregon because I thought, well, I need a kick. I need a kick in the ass. So if I enter some of these mountain bike races without a clue what I'm doing, maybe it will force me to get in shape. And it did. After work, I had this mission to at least get on my bike and go pedal for an hour so that I wouldn't suck in the race the next weekend. So my Survivor audition tape was me on my mountain bike with body paint on doing silly things. And so I was known as the nude mountain biker. I kept telling people I was painted. I had body paint on. Um, but that's how I got on the show as part of my audition tape was me on my mountain bike because I was pretty proud of being a mountain biker. Um, so after Survivor, we were getting all these opportunities to make $5,000 to sign autographs for a bunch of crazed fans. So I took every opportunity and moved to L.A., And when I got to L.A., uh, I started to really lose myself because it is a vicious place where you definitely are told to your face what your flaws are. (laughs) It's like, I don't need any more put downs, please. So I would go race my mountain bike wherever I could find races around California. And that kind of propelled me into the mountain bike industry. I found that was a lot more fun than going to auditions in L.A. and being told I am not good enough. And did you enter the industry as a sponsored athlete? Were you repping for brands? How did how did you enter that that, that scene? No, I was just an amateur racer who did it for fun. Uh, I never wanted to leave sport class because I didn't want to go any further in my races. Because expert, you had to go two laps. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I met uh, I met a guy who was a professional downhill racer at the time. And we hit it off and he just said, come travel with me. Let's, I race bikes all summer and I had money from Survivor. So off we went, we traveled the country and I just kind of followed him around to his races. And 
at all the pro races, there were also amateur categories. So I would just, I would race and cheer him on. And that's kind of how I got started. He started introducing me to his sponsors. He ended up becoming my husband and then my (laughs) ex-husband, but we had a good almost decade and a half of promoting mountain biking. I learned really everything I know about the bike industry from him. And did you guys travel internationally for this or were you just in the States or? Yep, we did. We, um, I mean, he raced world cups, so he would travel to Europe and all over the world to race. And I wouldn't go to all of them, but I went to a few internationally. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of ended up managing his career. I knew a lot about marketing and PR and advertising. And I had come from some sports marketing jobs in my twenties and I loved doing all the marketing and PR for him. And over time he wanted to quit racing. And so I helped rebrand him into more of an ambassador. And that's kind of where I got the idea that maybe you don't have to race to be sponsored. Maybe you can just promote the sport in some way. So through my travels with him and promoting him as a racer and then trying to rebrand him, uh, he came up with the word all ride because he wanted to be more than just himself. And so All Ride became our company, and we had multiple All Ride tours, uh, the Fox All Ride Tour, Santa Cruz All Ride Tour, Specialized All Ride Tour, the All Ride Kids Academy, where we sponsored pro racers. Um, So I kind of dabbled in all facets of the industry, sponsoring kids, racing myself, promoting a racer, promoting products. Uh, We traveled around in a big RV and brought a bunch of clothing and products with us. And eventually that moved into demo bikes. I think we were one of the early demo bike programs for Santa Cruz in 2005 before anyone had sprinter vans or demo trucks. Um, We were trucking around with 22 demo bikes. So I really learned how to transfer from, you know, being a sponsored athlete to a racer to being a sponsored ambassador. Um, and that's really how I built relationships and learned everything I know about the industry. What's What's it mean to be an ambassador? How are you a good, what makes a good ambassador? I think a good ambassador is somebody who's passionate about inspiring others using the sport as a tool. Um, for me personally, uh, my job in the industry is to inspire people to come and take our camps first and foremost to learn to mountain bike in a way that is inspiring and educational and welcoming but it's also our job to promote the products that we believe in and to get those products in front of people get people to try the products and for us it's pretty easy because we're not just showing up in parking lots and letting people take our bikes out on the trails by themselves They're getting on these demo bikes and putting on these products and learning things they never thought they were capable of doing. And that creates a special bond. You know, you get on a live bike and you never thought you could pop a wheelie and suddenly you're popping wheelies left and right. There's a connection there with the the teacher and the product. So I think being a good ambassador is just connecting with the public and all ages, all body types and encouraging them to try the sport. So at some point, all ride, and correct me if if I'm wrong on this, but at some point you kind of branched off into the ladies all ride. Is that correct? I did. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, the marriage uh, didn't work out and we got divorced and I uh, started my own division of all ride. And he had always encouraged me to start something for women. And I just didn't really know what it was going to be. So I started Ladies All Ride in 2013, just kind of with a mission to have it be a movement, 
And my take on all ride was if ladies all ride bikes, the world would be a better place. And so I knew I wanted to teach mountain biking, but I didn't want to do it the conventional way. I'd volunteered for a few mountain bike camps that were already in place and I saw what was missing. I felt like the industry was missing an emotional component. So come full circle from my emotional survivor days to mm. celebrating my emotional side and really acknowledging to the public that we understand mountain biking is intimidating and scary and can bring out you know, your true colors. It can make you throw temper tantrums and have fits on the trail and lose belief in yourself. But if you stick with it and you keep trying and you learn the process and procedure of how it all works, it can be a real confidence booster in life. So I decided to start the program with this emotional component to it where I am being really honest about how emotional this sport can be and how it can change your life because of the trials and tribulations it puts you through. It teaches you how to suffer a little bit, but it also gives you great freedom and pleasure. So that's really where my mission for Ladies All Right came from was dealing with my own depression and my own slow self-esteem at times, I found that on the bike, I just felt so alive and so free and confident in my abilities. So I wanted more women to see what they're capable of through sport to hope with the hopes that in turn, they would see what they're capable of in life. Yeah. And I think in all outdoor sports, mountain biking, whitewater kayaking, you know, just it's so important to see other women out there doing it. You know, it's just, Yep. I mean, it, yep. it is it. I mean, you're feeling that, you know, you're feeling that hole, that niche. But, you know, I think that uh, I think that just just even seeing another girl out there doing it or, you know, leading a ride just goes a long way without any of the other stuff. Yeah, we like to say if she can do it, I can do it. Yeah. You know, when you see another girl do it, why can't you do it? So in 2013, you started this ladies all ride. I was looking at doing a little research for this interview, and your camps are sold out currently all over the U.S. I mean, I, I don't know if they're all sold out, but the ones I looked at, why do you think there's so much you're having the success? Like, what's the secret sauce there? Yeah, I don't know. It was It's the scariest thing ever to start running events because it's like, you know, throwing a party and just hoping hoping people show up. You know, I really do think it's the fact that we are so open about the emotional component behind mountain biking. We want women to come together to bond over bikes. It's much more than just a skills camp. I mean, we have amazing coaches and we're, we're all highly trained and everyone gets amazing skills under their belt coming to our camps, but they get a lot more. We, we, our vibe and our energy is very warm and welcoming. Um, I make a speech at the very beginning that talks about how let's all take a deep breath and let our egos go. This is not a place where egos belong. Nobody cares if you're not the fastest on the trail or you're the one person in the group not getting the wheel lift. We're here to support each other and encourage each other and celebrate the challenges that mountain biking brings into our life and celebrate overcoming them and being good to ourselves and being kind to ourselves. It really is kind of a mountain bike life coaching weekend where we really want to just celebrate the strength of women in numbers and we want to grow the community. We want to bring women together to meet other women and make friends. It's just a full on bonding weekend on bikes. But it's also not girly girl rah-rah. I'm a full tomboy who didn't feel like I fit in with women. And so I wanted to create a series of events 
where more women like me come to see we're here. There's a lifestyle that exists for you. Even if you did feel like you fit in with women, this is a great sport that just kind of, I don't know, it, it breeds really cool ladies. And I just want more women to be supported by women because there's a lot of power in that. I'll agree with that. I live in, here in Asheville, North Carolina. We got a thriving bike scene here. Totally. And, and uh, it's cool to see. There's so many rad ladies who are out there. I mean, yeah, you have a great community. Some of our coaches live there. Um, so you started this camp. It's become a big success. Obviously, that's got to feel good. But let's flip the switch. What's the lowest moment? of your career through racing and through this camp? What, what stands out as a, as a place where you're at the bottom? Yeah. I mean, going through divorce was pretty hard. <laughs> we were both in the industry and, you know, we had a lot of sponsors together and we worked together and we're together 24 seven. So that was, that was pretty low. It, you know, it had to happen and it was very sad and hard and I didn't know if I was going to make it with ladies. All right on my own, changing my name back to my maiden name. Like it was very, it was very scary and very hard. And I think one thing that really boosted me up was my community of mountain bikers who were always there for me, supporting me. Even when I went to these camps while I was in the middle of the divorce, I would start crying during my opening speech and I would admit it. I'm going through a divorce right now and it's been hell. And I see other ladies start crying in the crowd and that lifted me up every time because I felt like, okay, we're doing something important here. We're, we're admitting our low points. We're admitting our weaknesses. We're showing them that we're just as vulnerable as they are because women come to these camps feeling nervous and vulnerable. It's a pretty vulnerable position to be in front of, you know, seven other women being told, okay, time to pop a wheelie now. And if you're not getting it, there's that ego will creep in and you start to feel bad about yourself. But we start the camps out telling people about our low moments in life and how mountain biking brought our confidence back. So that was definitely a really hard couple of years. Um, I've been really lucky with injuries. I, I am nursing a knee surgery at the moment, but that's been a lifetime of wear and tear on my knees that just needed to get cleaned up. Um, but injuries are hard. You have to go from a hundred miles an hour. I travel all over in a sprinter van. I'm riding my bike almost every day in the winter. I'm snowboarding or skate skiing. And I've had this knee injury since early January and I've, I haven't been able to do anything for a couple of months. And that's, you know, that's a time where we have to really reflect on how sport brings us to life and makes us feel so confident and good about ourselves. But we also have to find those feelings when we don't have sport. So I feel like injuries, again, relating it to life, really teach us how to deal with these low moments by changing our thought patterns. That's a big thing we talk about in our camps is you can't be thinking about smashing your face on that rock. That's not going to help you get through. You think thoughts that serve you, positive thoughts that keep the wheels rolling forward. And that's easy to say when I'm on a mountain bike and I literally have to keep my wheels rolling forward. But when I'm sitting in this machine watching my leg move mechanically for eight hours a day your brain goes to some sad, dark places. And I've really had to learn through injury to just be okay with the moment, be in the moment, be okay with the moment and look forward to what's ahead. Yeah. You can't spend too much time looking back. There's always a, there's always a new dawn. Yeah. <clears throat> so flipping the switch, what sticks out as the top? What's the, what, what memories lo you look back on and you're like, Oh, this is rad. This is where it needs to be. I mean, every time I get a message or a woman tells me that my camp changed her life or brought some kind of newfound confidence, 
I get messages all the time from women uh, saying things like, I was scared to get divorced. And you, by you just telling me what you went through, it brought me confidence to do what I needed to do for myself. Or I was scared to quit that job that I was miserable in and go for the promotion. But being in your camp made me see what I'm really made of and made me believe more in myself. Like, that's what this is all about for me, is inspiring women to be strong and capable and to see what they're made of. That's everything to me. You spoke a little bit ago about how important community was um, when you were going through a divorce and how that really helped you kind of get out of that situation mentally. What about when you were an athlete and first getting into cross-country races? Was there anything that you did, whether it be changing gear or a different training style? Were there any aha moments or, or things that you could share with our audience to help them break through? Um, you know, I feel like I've never been much of like a ritual person and I didn't really know that much about gear. Um, yeah, I think it was just racing really taught me how to push myself. And that's what I liked about racing was we think we have these limits, but when you're out in a race and there's a girl on your tail and you want to win, but your body is screaming and burning and you push and you do make it past the finish line in front of that person that you were trying to outrun, you start seeing that those limitations in your mind are just that. They're just in your mind. And when your mind can flip that switch into, no, I'm not going to listen to this right now. I'm going to push harder. I love that about racing. I love that ultimate suffering where you don't think you have any more pedal strokes in you and then you do, you find it, you, you dig deep and you find it. And I think that's suffering through sport that those painful moments in a race or climbing up that big hill where you don't think you'll get to the top, but you keep on climbing anyway. And then you do get to the top and your legs are still attached to your body. Those are the moments that I think have really helped me in life because life does have suffering and physical suffering it has an end usually like I'm going to get to the top and this burning is going to go away. I'm going to cross the finish line and this pain and the spit flying all over my face <laughs> is going to end, you know, but emotional suffering doesn't have a time limit. It doesn't have a six week recovery. You don't know when that emotional pain is going to end. So I think those have been some aha moments. Oh yeah, this all relates. I can get through this. This suffering will end. I may not have a timeline on it or a finish line in sight, but if I stay in the moment and kind of embrace the suffering and really feel it and listen to it and observe it, I, I will get through it. And I think that's really what has helped me in life are these moments on the bike where it hurts and I get through it have helped me with these emotional moments because I know that I will get through it. What about in some of your students? What have you seen in your camps when you're teaching somebody and they're just struggling with something, all of a sudden they break through? Is there any any uh, anything that stands out or any trends there for, for helping them kind of break through? You know, that's, I think, the beauty about our camps. All of my coaches, we're all trained uh, with a little bit of psychology in there. We have to really gauge what kind of a learner the, the person is. Uh, what kind of personality they have. Some women like tough love. They want you to go, you got this, you got this. And other women you need to be a little more gentle with. Like, it's okay, don't be hard on yourself. Let's try this again, you'll get it eventually. There's a real psychology to helping women find their confidence. We have to understand what's gonna work for that particular woman. And there's seven women in each of our groups. So 
all these different personalities all in one group, we have to really figure out what works for each individual woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the magical things about our camps. All of us coaches love that part of it. We love seeing a woman struggle and then we have to come up with either a way to say it a little differently. And we like to say really fun and funny things that keep it light, like boobs over the bars, just get your boobs over the bars more. You know, and then they find it funny and they don't forget it or wipe your butt on the berm. Just twist your butt and wipe it along the outside of the berm. And there's no technical component to that, but there is. There's a lot of technicality to wiping your butt on the berm. <laughs> and they remember it and they laugh about it and we keep it light and fun. And we just try not to not to let them put pressure on themselves to get it right every time. What is the number one piece of advice you'd give a young athlete who's wanting to improve their game? Someone who says, you know what, I've done a few races, I want to get on the podium. What should I do? Stand up all the time. <laughs> get on your bike and stand up. Don't ever sit down. <laughs> that was the advice I got once. You know, personally, <laughs> I rode, I've done some races around here, and I rode with some guys who are a lot better with uh, than me, and I was sitting down on a lot of the climbs and whatever, and I noticed they were standing up and whatnot, and I started doing that, and it worked for me. So, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's good. I'm one. telling you, stand up all the time. You know, I mean, with training, everyone's different. Everybody's different. I would say rest is just as important as the training itself. Um, but, yeah, just don't give up, you know. I think – Racing can be really hard. You you got to kind of separate your ego. There's got to be a little bit of ego there if you want to win. But I also think that people just need to go into racing with the attitude of I'm doing this to push myself to race against myself because that's really what it is in life, right? It's us against ourselves. Our own thoughts in our head can cause chaos. We can change those thoughts to positive. It's the same with racing. Give it your best shot. Give it your all. Feel what it feels like to do your best and try your hardest. And if that's not a winning position, then at least you know you tried your hardest. And people should be really proud of that because there can only be one winner. And that's what I didn't like about racing is I don't I don't want to be in a position where there's a winner or a loser. You know, with our camps, everybody's equal. We're all here to just play on bikes. And that's, I was only meeting women at races. And that's kind of why I started this program. I wanted an event series where women knew <clears throat> they could meet other women in a welcoming environment where we're not competing against each other. You're really just competing against yourself with the encouragement of all these other women around you. Right. Right. No, I see that. What if this young athlete was winning some races and they wanted to turn it into a career? What advice would you give them for that? How to attract sponsors, how to, how to make it in the industry? First and foremost, be humble you know, being humble and gracious and good to all of your competitors is a big deal. Sponsors notice people's personalities. You can be the winningest racer of all time, but if you're an asshole at this day and age, people don't like that, you know? So being kind and being gracious is a, is a big deal. Really acknowledging what you can do for sponsors, that's a big deal. You never approach a sponsor asking them what they can do for you. You approach a sponsor with a mission to help them promote their product, to help them get their product in front of people or inspire people using their product as a tool. It's always about what can we do as athletes to help these brands get in front of more people. I think that's a big mistake racers have made in the past is, well, I win, you should sponsor me. 
But at this point with social media and the ability to promote yourself, sponsors are looking for people who are genuinely good people who are doing this for all the right reasons. So racing is very competitive and I, and I get it. It's a beautiful thing, but you still have to maintain a level, a, a strong level of gratitude for anything you get for free. I think that's a big deal. We did sponsor a few kids and at times we saw a few temper tantrums. Well, they said they were going to give me wheels. And it's like, well, what have you done to earn those wheels? You know, you got to earn it. You got to give to get. <laughs> yeah. Value bombs galore right there. Be gracious. Be thankful. Yeah. Yeah. Not only in sport, but in life. That goes a long way. It sure does. What about the industry, the mountain biking industry, especially for women? Women, where's it at and where do you see it going? It's a good time to be a woman in the bike industry. I think a lot of companies are a lot more aware um, of how male-dominated this industry is. It's all the companies are filled with men, with, it was scattered with a few women here and there, and that's changing. More women are getting jobs in, within bike companies. More women are getting jobs high up in bike companies. Um, that's been really exciting to see. More companies are sponsoring women's programs because they're seeing how important it is to speak directly to women. It's a sport that women need to be invited into, I feel like. It's not a sport that somebody just wakes up and says, I think I want to try mountain biking today. Like, yeah, that can happen, but it is an intimidating and scary sport. And a lot of the things that have been shown or a lot of mountain biking that's been shown on TV is like Red Bull Rampage. Like that's great that it's the only mountain bike event on NBC for the, the rest of the world to see, but that's not the mountain biking we're talking about here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> No, for sure. What about uh, what about e-bikes? Let's put you in the hot e seat here. What's your thoughts on the e-bike trend, the e-bike craze? That's quite the quite the question, isn't it? Uh, we are getting a couple of e-bikes in our demo fleet from Liv, and we're really excited about them because I feel like what a great tool for our photographer to have to be able to get to all the different groups to take photos. That e-bike is going to come in really handy. I think e-bikes for trail builders are a great thing to get them from point A to point B a little quicker. Um, I have no problem with them, honestly. I think if it's gonna encourage someone who doesn't usually ride to get out and ride, or say someone like my dad, who's 74 years old and loves mountain biking, but is a little you know, worried about his fitness level, having that little pedal assist isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, yeah, I have no problem with them. What about uh, what about on public land? Do you think they should be allowed on public land just alongside normal bikes? Um, I believe in the rules that mo anything with a motor or power has its place, and anything that doesn't have a motor or power or is powerized has its place. In Bend, I love what we do is we've got motorcycle trails that are designated motorcycle trails you're not going to run into a mountain biker on those trails and we have designated mountain bike trails and i think there's a few trails that are shared and everybody's fine with it um but i really like when these communities can build purpose-built trails and keep the motorized vehicles and the non-motorized vehicles separated whenever possible yeah i think you know anybody who doubts that lithium-ion technology is not going to be a part more a part of everybody's lives moving forward is silly, but I'm kind of in the same camp with you is that, you know, these bikes have a certain amount of power now, 
but how much power are they going to have in the future? And uh, that's going to be a tough thing to figure out. But me, personally, as someone who was a hater on the e-bikes, last year I managed to get on one and talk about full convert, man. That thing is fun. <laughs> I heard it's super fun. I'm excited to ride it. And the one thing I will say, though, is like for someone like my dad, I would worry that he would start going too fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, and it's nuts because you can put these big fat tires on there and you can put, you know, just things that you normally would try and go a little lighter, a little faster on a, on a bike that you're pedaling. You can just beef it up into this big soft machine. It's, it's cool. I can't wait to see where that, that part of the industry goes. Yeah, I think it's great. The more people on bikes, the better. And it's not loud. They don't make any noise. It's not like a motorcycle coming up on you going. It's not emitting any nasty stuff into the environment. Like, I really don't see the big deal. Yeah. And like you said, everyone says they're so fun. They are so much fun. Like, I I definitely am addicted and trying to figure out a way to get one of these things. They're not cheap. No. So, Lindsay, what's in store for you for this year? 2019, it's spring, the year's beginning. What's your year look like? Well, the first month of my season consists of four events that I will be on crutches at. <laughs> so that sucks. <laughs> but hey, I can still teach from a chair in the grass. <laughs> yeah, so we start out at Sea Otter Classic, which I've been going to now for about 18 years. Wow. And then we go to Sedona, Arizona is our kickoff camp of the season, which is a magical place. We love teaching there. I'm so sad I won't be able to teach there because of my knee. Um, and then I've got a few things in L.A. And then, I mean, the season just takes off. We're, we're booked pretty much. You know, I also coach for other events to help other people out. So between my camps, I coach for other people. And pretty much I have every weekend nice and filled up. That's very cool. So are you traveling with a trailer and an RV and everything or are you using local dealers for the demo fleets? You're totally self-support. Yeah, I have a, I have, we have a sprinter van. Ladies already has a sprinter van and a trailer full of live demo bikes. Um, and they're all decked out with SRAM rock shocks parts. And yeah, we take that everywhere we go. Sometimes we have other people drive it and I fly, but for the most part, I live in the van all summer. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. So are you going to be coming through Asheville? Heck yeah, we have our we have two camps in Brevard. Okay. Yeah, we do. And uh, at the very end of August, and we had to do midweek camps, which was a little frustrating because the Dupont State Forest stopped allowing uh, commercial permits on the weekends. Yeah. So of all the camps, last year our Brevard camp sold out in about twenty minutes, and this year it's been a little bit slower, I think, because of the the midweek portion. They're Monday and Tuesday, and then Thursday and Friday because we're trying to respect the DuPont state forest rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we still have spots available in Brevard ladies. <laughs> All, right. All right. You heard it here first. It's so fun there. Yeah. It's definitely a good place to ride. It's probably because it hasn't stopped raining since May of last year here. So <laughs> people are probably just not even thinking about riding their bikes. Right. <clears throat> actually, actually, that's not true. We've had a, a couple sunny days here lately. Well, I think that about goes through my interview here. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to get to do what I do. I think mountain biking is such an amazing sport. I I use it as a catalyst for growth and change and inspiration. And I'm just really stoked that I get to talk to people like you and keep spreading the good mountain bike vibe. Yeah, I love that. 
Where uh, where can our where can our listeners follow you? Are you an Instagrammer or a Facebooker or where can people follow yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, we're on Instagram. the The handle is Ladies All Ride. It has my name also, Lindsay Richter. And then same with Facebook, Ladies All Ride. We're not we're not twatters. We don't do the Twitter thing. <laughs> and just ladiesallride.com is where you can find information about us. Well, very cool. Well, I hope to meet you face to face when you come through Asheville or at some other point. Yeah, and, uh, let's go shred. Yeah, super thankful that you came on the show. And uh, yeah, Lindsay Richter. Love your name, Richter. That's a good name. Richter. Dude, I got a friend. <laughs> His name is Peter Ripmaster. So that, awesome. may, that may be the only last name that's better than Richter is Ripmaster. Ripmaster Richter. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the time. Good luck healing with the knee, and we'll catch you later. Thank you, John. Take care.